Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Healthy fear can keep us alive, but unhealthy fear can keep us from living. Lead teacher Jeff Norris continues the series, Fear Not, Trusting Christ in the Midst of Crisis, with this sermon entitled, Jesus is Our Life, which covers 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 to 12 and 16 to 18, John 14, verses 1 to 7, and 1 Corinthians 1, verses 54 to 57. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into where we're headed again this week in this new series that we started last week. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together, scattered as we are, but together under the banner of Jesus. Lord, thank you. We pray that, uh, that we would be able to, to enter in well into your scriptures this morning, believing that they are holy and inerrant, that they are God-breathed by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we ask that you would speak deeply into our hearts. Give us wisdom and understanding. Give us the ability to see you, O Christ, and our need for you. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we started a series last week called Fear Not, Trusting Christ in the Midst of Crisis. And I won't go into the details of it. I would encourage you, if you missed it, to go back and listen to last week as I kind of gave this uh, lengthy setup to the series. Here's a couple of things I did say, though, that reorient us even again this week to where we're headed. And you think about the series as a whole, when we think about what does it mean to fear not? What does it look like to trust Christ? A couple of things that I said that I want to remind you of is, is this. A fear is a part of life. I don't have to convince you of that. It's common to uh, the human experience. It's common to human nature. Uh, we often have uh, fears in all areas of our lives. Some are rational, some are irrational. Some are very uh, understandable to say, of course you would be afraid of that. Others, we would say, man, why, am I, why is fear gripping me in this area? So fear is, the, the issue of fear is, it's not an issue of is it gonna be there or is it not? The issue is, um, what do we do with it? And to what extent is it gonna control our lives? And so here was the kind of the main idea over the whole series that we'll keep coming back to week in and week out. And it was simply this, trusting in almighty God, trusting in him and resting in Jesus increasingly removes our irrational fears and reorients our rational ones. The more we sit and rest in the person of Jesus, the more that we understand who he is, the more that we trust in almighty God, the more those fears begin to be put into their proper place. And even understanding that the only fear that we really need to make sure is always present in our life is the fear of God. I love the quote from C.H. Spurgeon, the great 19th century preacher who said that uh, if we fear God, we have nothing else to fear. And so there's this, this fear of God that's actually a really healthy fear. And it's not fear like I'm afraid necessarily. It's awe and it's reverence. It's getting a bigger picture of him, who he is, his purpose, his plan, everything that he has put into place in our lives. And in the more we trust in that, the more we trust in him, the more fear either dissipates or reorients in a healthy way. That's kind of the big picture of where we set up the series last week. And then we, we simply said this. I just said, uh, we want to focus on Jesus because it's in Jesus specifically, the person of Christ, 
where our fears are most appropriately dealt with. And so we want to live out what Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2 says. We want, to, we want to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And we want to look to him, and we want to see who is Jesus and rest in who he is. So last week we looked at, hey, we don't have to fear because Jesus is our sustainer. He sustains us to the end. And even in the midst of the greatest of storms, we can lean into him as our sustainer. This week, we're going to be looking at Jesus is our life. We don't have to fear because he is life. He doesn't just point to where we can find life. He says, I am the life. And we'll talk about that much more. To lead us there, let me just say this. Life is full of death. It's an encouraging word for you this morning. <laughs> it's not a fun way to, to ease into a sermon. But it's true, isn't it? Our experience of life on earth as we know it, it's full of death. Certainly physical death, every, every single one of us, we will die. Death is imminent for all of us, physically. Death was ushered into the world when sin came into the world. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 3. But not just physical death, there's all kinds of death, if you will, that we have to endure on a consistent basis in this life. And what I mean by death is grieving, the loss, the sorrow, the sadness, the pain of losing something very dear to us, that it become a, a fabric of who we are. Certainly it's, it's physical death, like I've mentioned, the loss of a loved one that can absolutely absolutely throw us into this place of grief and despair and even fear. But in this pandemic, uh, we're experiencing some, some deaths that maybe for some of us we haven't before, deaths of dreams, dreams that we've had for our lives, uh, the dream that we had for that startup business that we had poured resources and time into and we thought we were about to get ready to launch that and maybe we did launch it and it was just the worst timing ever and now it's gone. And you're experiencing the death of a dream. Maybe you're experiencing the death of, if you're a high school student, the death of that season that you had practiced all year for and poured your heart and soul and sweat and blood into playing in the spring season, this season, your last one if you're a senior and, you, and you're not able to do that. Or maybe it's your prom, not able to go to your own senior prom or your own graduation. For some of us, it's experiencing the death of, of relationships that we just love and, and we've felt separated for, for such a long time now. Grandparents not able to see their grandkids and, and vice versa. Grandkids who adore their grandparents, but just no interaction during this time. There's, there's death, there's loss, there's sadness, there's grieving. And I've only mentioned a few. The list goes on and on and on. And we struggle we struggle with, with all that is caught up in these deaths, if you will. I think maybe perhaps the one that we're struggling with the most is we struggle the most with uh, the death of control that we thought we had. That's hard for me. That's hard for all of us. I would assume that that, that I think, is, that's at the core, that's at the heart 
of where many of our fears lie is that we live our lives trying to uh, position things in such a way to where we are comfortable and we're at ease and we, we settle into this guise of believing that we're in control. And it takes something like a pandemic or, or something like that to where we begin to realize on a whole new front, I'm not in control. I don't have the control that I thought I did. Things are out, out of my hands. I think about control and I think, man, it's a part of who we are. It's a part of our, of our fabric of, of human nature. If you go back to Genesis 3, like I had alluded to a moment ago, and you get this account of man and woman being created in the image of God and, and being made for God to be in communion and relationship with him in every way, yet they rejected God. And part of the reason why they rejected God is because they wanted control. They wanted to be God. So they rejected God's order. They rejected God's good way of life that he had given them to say, we want to do it our way. And ever since then, we have inherited the same nature. We want to be in control. We want to be God. We wrestle with trusting a God who is so far beyond us in control of all things because at the end of the day, what many of us really want is if there is a God, we want to be able to control him. And in the midst of pandemic, we go, wow, I don't control anything. To illustrate how control is just a part of who we are from the earliest of ages, parents, if you're, if you're a parent of more than one child, uh, do this if you haven't already, you probably have, but buy something, buy a toy, buy a, an Xbox, buy a remote control car, do whatever, but only buy one. Only get one remote control for that Xbox. Only get one control for the remote control car. Uh, and, and then to your two or three or four or five children, whoever, however many you may have, uh, put it before them and say, this is a gift for all of you. And then watch the chaos ensue as they fight for control. I wanna play. I wanna be the one in control. And that's true of all of us, adult and children alike. But listen, Here's the main idea of this morning. Here's what I want you to latch onto this morning, the truth to sit in. The hope of the Christian life, the hope of the Christian life is not found in our ability to control, to control our lives. It's found in resting in the one who is life. Even in the midst of all this death around us, another way to think about it, another way to press that in is that our hope, our hope is not in improved circumstances. Our hope is in, a, in an immovable savior, one who never changes, one who can always be trusted if we're gonna be able to trust in Jesus, if we're gonna be able to find hope in that way, if we're gonna be able to understand that life is found not in our circumstances, but in a person named Jesus, then we, we have to have among us some proper perspectives. I'm gonna give you three this morning uh, quickly here as we go to the word. I wanna just walk through, here's three perspectives that we must have if we're gonna be a people who trust Jesus well. Listen to this. The first one is we have to have a proper perspective of this life. 
of this life on earth as we know it right now, we must have a proper perspective. And I'm going to call this perspective the jars of clay perspective. And, and here's where I get this from. I get it from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in verse 7. And before I begin reading in verse 7, don't go there yet. Don't start reading before I do. I want you to understand what this is coming off of. Uh, and, and by the way, let me just say this. Uh, the word of God, all of it is good. All of it is amazing. But for all of us, if you've walked with Christ for any length of time, you know that there's, there's certain passages and chapters that just resonate with you in your heart that you just keep coming back to over and over and over again. For me, that's, that's Romans 8, that's Isaiah 40. It's also 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. These two chapters are, are tremendous and have been tremendous in my, in my walk with Jesus. And so I would encourage you, if you don't know what to read this week, if you're like, what, what do I, when I open my Bible, I don't know what to, where to go or what to do. This week, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5 and read those two chapters and just sit in those chapters asking God to teach you and to press those truths into your heart. But it's in chapter 4, verse 6, where the Apostle Paul has just said that all of us are born into darkness. All of us are born into sin. All of us are born with this nature that is, that is against God. We don't want to believe that he's real. We don't want to serve him. We don't want to love him in any way. And he uses the metaphor to say that we're born with a veil over our face because of the sin nature that we had inherit, that we inherited from our ancestors. So, so we, we can't see, we can't see the light of the glory of the goodness of God. We can't see the beauty of Jesus. And so what God does in his grace is he lifts the veil so that we can see who he is, who the person of Christ is, is our savior. And we begin to see, and this is the language of verse six of chapter four. It says, so that we can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so we get to that point, we get to the end of verse six and we go, this is amazing. The gospel is overwhelming. The, the God of all universe, the one who is so powerful as we talked about last week, that he would speak a word and creation would happen and that he would sustain the world and all that's in it with the word of his power, that a God that big, a God that majestic and magnificent would want to know me, that would want to rescue me when all I've done in my life is shake my fist at him and resist him, yet he wants me to see who he is? The grace, the love, the compassion, the joy that he offers us in Jesus is overwhelming. And you say, wow, and appropriately so. But the apostle Paul also wants us to know that yes, all that's true. But there's another truth that you need to embrace, a proper perspective on this life now and that's where he starts in verse seven. Listen to what he says. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. We are a, a weak, feeble people, fragile, easily broken. And he says that that's who we are on this, on this earth to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. For the believer, you carry this treasure around with you, Jesus the kingdom of God in you through the power of the Holy Spirit in you, but you carry it around in a really broken body and in a really broken place so that anything that good and powerful that happens through us can be, can be to the power and the glory of God, not to us. Then it says this, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, 
but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work within us, but life in you. Let me just explain very quickly what's going on here. Uh, Paul's helping us understand a proper perspective in this life, which is on one hand, we have the, the unthinkable, the immeasurable goodness of the life of Christ in us. The savior of the world now dwells in the, in the hearts and in the minds and in the bodies of those who believe upon him, giving new life, giving new perspective, giving new joy in the midst of a broken world all around us. But the reality is we're still in the broken world. And we're going to experience all kinds of pain and sorrow and grief and hardness and death and loss. We're going to be pressed in upon by the realities of a broken world in decay all around us. And part of the Christian life that is so interesting that Jesus lays out for us in his teaching is he says, if you want to follow me, then you must deny yourself and take up your cross. In other words, die. You go, is that right? Take up my cross, meaning uh, for the Roman in that day, for the, in the Roman empire, that meant I'm going to take up death. What does that mean? Well, it means that what he's calling us to is that he's calling us to die to this world, to die to all the things that we would normally look to. This over here that I would say, that's where life is found. And this over here would say, that's where life is found. And this is what's going to satisfy me. And this is the pleasure that I've always looked for. And all these things that we normally look to, he's saying, hey, die to those things. Take take up your cross and find the life that you ultimately long for the deep, deep recesses of your heart where you know you need something better. Take up your cross, die to all those things and find life in me. This is the same Jesus in his teachings who said, if anyone wants to find his life, he must first lose it. And so Paul says in this passage we just read, he's read he, just, he says we're always carrying with us In our bodies, the death of Jesus, meaning we're dying to all this stuff because we've tasted and we've tried and we've experienced and we've gone here and here and here and we know that it always leaves us wanting. We also know that this life is hard, tremendously hard at times. But in the midst of the hardness, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of all this grief that we deal with, there is one. There is one who is life. There is one who satisfies us in ways that our hearts have always longed for. There is one who gives us what we most need. And it's not something that we can find on this earth. It's only something that we can find in him. We have to have a proper perspective that this world is broken, but it's actually the brokenness of the world that drives us to the one who was broken for us, that we might have life. There's a second perspective that we we, we have to have. 
We got to have a proper perspective of this life, but we also have to have a proper perspective of the life to come. Listen to what it says later on in this very same passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, So in light of all that, in light of all the things that are happening that are really hard on this side of heaven and this earth, listen, verse 16, we don't lose heart. We don't fear. We don't live in anxiety and and, and in this place of, of, oh my goodness, yeah, that's gonna be something you battle, but we don't have to stay there. We don't lose heart. Why? Because though our outer nature is wasting away, that's everything around us, including our own bodies, Even though that's wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. Why? Because Christ is changing the believer. He dwells within us and he's changing us. He's changing our hearts and our perspectives. For this slight momentary affliction, let me pause there and just say this. By the way, slight momentary affliction, ultimately that's life. The Apostle Paul is not necessarily saying, hey, this, this thing that you're in right now, this pandemic you're in right now, yes, it is a, it is a momentary affliction, but we're, really what I'm speaking to here is, is your whole life. Your whole life in many ways is, is an affliction. As we deal with the realities of what sin has wrought into this world and brought into this world and the ways in which it impacts us on a daily basis, when you, when you look at the scope of eternity, our lives are just a slight momentary struggle. But look what's happening. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. There is a life to come for those who follow Jesus that is beyond our wildest imaginations where all the hard is gone, where all the difficulty is gone, where all the sadness and sorrow and tears and grief and depression and anxiety and unwanted fears, all of it's gone. Because we're in the presence of Jesus. We are glorified. Sin is no more. Darkness is no more. Everything that we have experienced on this life that has caused us to be in a place of fear and trepidation is now placed into the hands of our Jesus for eternity. That's the life to come in the new heavens, the new earth. Every single person will experience an eternal reality. The question is simply where? There is life eternal in Jesus. He said it. It's the most famous verse in all of scripture. But when Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For many of you, you have a profound fear of death. And I'm talking about physical death here. You, you won't even think about it. You won't even talk about it. You won't even entertain it as though it's not really gonna happen to every single one of us. One of the great hopes that Jesus offers us among the thousands of hopes that we have in him is that we don't have to fear death. He is the one that conquered death in our place. He is the one who came and took the penalty of death, the penalty of sin, death itself upon him. The very thing that is our greatest enemy, the greatest enemy for every human is death. Why? Because it's at that point that judgment comes. And if you don't believe in God, it's at that point that you just cease to exist. But if you believe in the God of the Bible, then what we understand to be true is this, is that there's a day of judgment coming 
where we will stand before the very one who breathed us into being, created us for his glory, and we will either stand before him uh, righteous in the finished work of Jesus on our behalf, trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf, because without him, we are only defined by our sin before a holy God. And if we stand before this holy God and we don't have the covering of Christ and his blood over us, then we stand condemned. And we will spend all of eternity separated in a place of eternal torment, according to the scriptures. But if we stand in the finished work of Jesus, his righteousness on our behalf, his sacrifice for us, for the forgiveness of sins and for the delight of our God as children of God for all of eternity, then we will spend eternity in heaven with him. This isn't my opinion. This is what the scriptures teach us. We have to have a proper perspective in this world, in this life, and in the life to come. But there's a third perspective that brings it all together, and it's, it's the essence of this series. It's the perspective that we must have a proper perspective on Jesus himself, who identified himself as the life. Listen to the words of Jesus. Listen to what he said. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is, by the way, this is, I don't know, I meant to tell you a couple things. I think I forgot. If you're taking notes, the second perspective, I call the first one the jars of clay perspective. The second one is the hope of glory perspective. The third one is the true life perspective. As we think about Jesus and have a proper perspective on him, he's the true life. Listen to what he says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was offensive. And he was offensive because he was exclusive. He made an audacious and profound claim about himself. He said that there is no other way. There's no other truth. There is no other life but in him. There's no middle ground with Jesus. You either say that's true or that's not true. And if you don't think that's true, then that means there's, you can't be in the middle. You can't kind of be this halfway Christian who shows up to church and, and worship experiences and whatnot and goes, yeah, I believe in God. Uh, the issue is Jesus. Is he the way, the truth, and the life, or is he not? And if he is, it changes everything about our lives here to where we seek to find our life in him. Why? Because he's the life. He's what we've always wanted. It's what our souls most long for is to find life in him. He said this, and also in the book of John, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus says, this is who I am. I'm the only one who's conquered the grave in your place. And I offer to you the same power if you believe upon me. If you trust me, do you believe? He says this in John chapter 10 as well. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Man, we've, we've misapplied that verse a lot in the church over the years, the church globally, where we, we try to make that about us. We try to say, look, if, if, you just, if you just trust Christ enough, you'll have the abundant life. You'll be healthy and wealthy and prosperous. And, and the more you trust him, the better things will go for you. I, maybe, but that's not what Jesus told us. 
Jesus told us that in this life you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. The abundant life is not found in our circumstances. The abundant life is not found in us just mustering up more faith to make sure that we're believing enough so that he blesses us and gives us everything that we want that it calls us then to try to take comfort in something other than him. He is our comfort. Sometimes he actually strips things away from us so that we realize those are the things that you're not supposed to find life in anyway. It's me. And so a pandemic, don't mishear me here. It's awful. It's, it's terrible. We don't want loved ones dying. We don't want to experience the hardship that something like a pandemic brings. But ultimately, in the, in the scheme of what God is up to for his glory and for his purposes, sometimes things like pandemics are good for us because they strip away all the things that we try to find comfort in. All the ways in which we try to seek for life and they refocus us on Jesus. He is the life. And the abundant life is found in him. Maybe the best way to say it is this. You want joy? You want real joy. Maybe this is the abundant life. It's a life full of joy regardless of circumstances. It's what Jesus offers. And that joy is an authentic joy. It's not a fake joy. It's not a happiness that's always just happy-go-lucky. No, it involves grieving. It's a joy that allows for grieving and sadness, absolutely, because that's a part of the human experience. But it's ultimately this joy that is centered in the ability to know there is one who is in control, not me. And he is good. And he is who I will find my life in. He's the author of life. He's the sustainer of life. He's the giver of life. He's eternal life. Watch this video from my friend, Kurt. I got this little tiny sliver of wood that I usually keep on my desk. It's a piece of bark, actually, about the size of a silver dollar. My son Capel gave it to me 10 years ago when he was 23. Cap had, uh, with a wood burner, put his very unusual signature on the back of it with a date. And then on the front, he had super glued a, a tiny, beautiful moth. And then just beneath the moth, he had carved the word joy. Well, the moth has long since dried up and disintegrated. So there's just joy on the front now. I carried it in my pocket for a while, but uh, I was afraid I was going to lose it. So now it, it usually just sits uh, in a box on my desk next to Capel's feather collection. I glance at it often. But on those days when I'm particularly missing my boy who went home to be with Jesus four years ago, on those days when my grief is raw and I'm leaning hard towards sorrow, I like to pick it up, hold it for a while. It's a reminder from Cap, from God, that there is something greater, much greater, beyond grief, beyond sorrow. There's joy. I like that I can pick it up and uh, 
lightly press my thumb against the surface of it, the smooth surface of joy. You know, there's a line in a Psalm of David that says, you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Oh, he had a lot of those, David, tossings and tears. Maybe one of the reasons David was considered a man after God's own heart is because he knew deep down in his gut that there was one who counted his tossings, bottled his tears, gathered for some greater beautiful purpose. It's a curious image though, the God of the universe collecting tears like souvenirs, putting tears, my tears, in his bottle. You know, I, I wrote a piece about that one time, a duet scene for an actress and, and me to perform, and it was, it was all right. But looking back on it, I, I realized that I, I, I didn't really know then much about sorrow and grief. And so maybe I didn't have a real good grip on this tear bottle thing. <laughs> I was talking about that the other day with my cross the street neighbor and good friend, Caleb Martin. Caleb had just written a blog post on this, Psalm 56. I read it. <laughs> it was a whole lot better than my duet scene. I think maybe it answered a curiosity for me about what God was gonna do with all those tears he's been collecting. Maybe when it's all said and done, when Jesus has made all things right, all things new, you, you know, Revelation 21, new heaven, new earth, tears dried, no sickness, no sorrow, no death. Maybe then Jesus pulls out your bottle, my bottle of tears, and he simply paints a picture with them. Oh, says Jesus, all these these were the tears you cried when you said goodbye to the one you loved. And then brushstrokes of vibrant color. And these, says Jesus, these late night tears when you were so worried about your wife and your family. And a, an amazing background is filled in. Oh, I remember these, says Jesus. These anxious tears when you were so fearful, those months of that virus, subtle contours and textures appear. Tear by tear, Jesus paints a stunning portrait of my life in him. And then finally, I realize that all things really do work together for good for those who love him. Maybe if I can grab hold of this now, then somehow I can more and more learn to simply look to Jesus, the one who not only gathers my tears, but who has cried my tears, and who, for the joy set before him, endured my cross. Maybe I can more and more become a man who has learned to trust that all has been garnered by my gracious Father, all for some greater glorious picture painted by Jesus, who teaches me to lightly 
hold my life against his surface of joy. listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.